0: Greetings, all you 99 percenters, this is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Visions. Okay, Uh, let's talk about the jobs report that came out today. And, of course, Biden is uh, trying to spin it and hype it, right? He's saying, oh, we created 13.5 million jobs here in the last couple years. Created, he says. Created as if these were new jobs? No. He uh, even admits that 20 million people were unemployed during COVID. Actually, at different points in time, that was a peak at any one time. At different times, 35 million people were unemployed. Some of them short-term, some of them longer-term. I... And he keeps saying that, oh, he created 13. No, these are people who went back to work to jobs that were there that were shut down or they got laid off and the jobs opened up and they went back to work. Right. And he says, oh, we've recovered all the jobs plus some, Uh, but doesn't say what kind of jobs. Right. And if you look at the statistics, what you see in the jobs are that uh, full-time jobs have disappeared and part-time jobs have increased many of those second and third jobs people taking on because their wages aren't enough to pay for the inflation you know you got to watch out for what politicians say about the economy especially Biden running around you know hyping the results, not just for jobs, but for inflation and everything else, trying to make it look good. And the mainstream media that also cherry picks the best data to make it look good. We're going to talk about that. You know, when you talk about jobs, you got to realize there's two reports that the Labor Party puts out. One is called the Establishment Survey, or CES current establishment survey. But that is is not really a survey. It's kind of like a partial census. Large corporations, you know, big tech companies, big corporations, so forth, send data into the government on a monthly basis, jobs data. And uh, that's the current establishment survey. And that's the one that they report in the media every month, you know, for larger businesses. It misses the smaller businesses, which make up most of the employment in this country. Yeah. So, you know, maybe 400,000 or so larger businesses. There are like 9 million businesses in this country. Uh, so the establishment survey is, you know, a partial census of about 400,000 or so companies and that's the one that they report 187 thousand here for August by the way that's not the whole month of August that's about mid-August all these monthly reports are really about the middle of the month takes them a couple weeks in order to aggregate it all and report it so you know through mid-August 187 thousand now the thing to remember about this is that's about the number every month for the last four months. In other words, it's stuck. It's stuck at about 180,000. Well, that sounds like good, good deal. 180,000. Well, you got to remember there's at least 100,000, maybe 125,000 people entering the labor force looking for jobs every month on average. So the important thing is, are they covering that? Are people being able to get jobs? Uh-huh. so you know 187,000 average stuck by the way uh, the inflation is stuck as well over the summer uh, in services services inflation goods inflation as I've been saying has come down it's pretty flat uh, that may be because of the global economy and demand for exports is is pretty flat Uh so goods inflation is down but they can't seem they they the Fed can't seem to get services inflation down. Services is 80% of the economy by the way. That's been stuck at around well the numbers are between 5.3% to 6.2% latest. It's sort of creeping up a little bit. So it's been stuck at that number somewhere around 5.5%, 6%, just as job numbers have been stuck at around 180,000 for the last four months since April. And that, despite the fact that the Fed has raised interest rates chronically here, rapidly, fastest increase to 5.5%. Now the Fed's going to have to decide whether to do it again at the end of this month and uh, investors are say, no, no, the Fed's going to stop, it's going to stop. Well we'll see. The Fed's between a rock and a hard place, by the way, if it continues raising rates, it's going to exacerbate the uh, interest rate risk for regional banks, and it kind of just got its arms around that crisis a few months ago. We'll talk about that a little bit more, what else the Fed's doing, because it's fearful of another uh, bout of that coming. Uh, But the Fed is kind of at the max of what it can raise rates without further upsetting the regional banks. But it hasn't been able to get inflation down. Services inflation. Service inflation is stuck. It's always said that the way to get it down is to create more unemployment, particularly in services. That's what Powell has been saying is the goal of the Fed since last year. Oh, we got to generate more unemployment in services to get services income down so that the demand for goods and services will decrease. More people laid off, they'll have less money, and uh, the demand will lower prices. Lack of demand will lower prices. But they can't get services employment down. And. Uh, <sighs> Well, it's difficult. It's difficult. There's some signs creeping in that some services jobs like in transport warehousing are beginning to shed here. Uh, But it's so minimal, you can't really say Fed rate hikes have been successful in getting employment down in services and therefore wage income and therefore demand, etc., 187,000 jobs last four months. That's about an average last four months. Stuck. The economy is moving sideways as far as jobs are concerned, or is it? Ah, well, what do you mean? Well, as I said at the beginning, there are two, two surveys, two job surveys done by the Labor Department. One is this establishment survey, large companies. The other is that what's called the CPS, Current Population Survey, which is a true survey. You know, a sample yeah. of uh, 50,000, 60,000 businesses, smaller businesses mostly, uh, are surveyed every month. Is You know, what's your employment situation? And some yeah. other data as well on prices, inflation, and so forth. So... You know, if you look at the CPS, the population survey, you get a different picture. But you don't get that reported in the media. Well, let's look at that survey data just reported. OK. Uh, the civilian labor force is the total employment, in other words, people who are uh, working and looking for work, those two categories, you know, and that's about 160 million in the population, roughly 160, 65 million, whatever. So you know, that's the civilian labor force. Now there's a whole bunch of people who leave the labor force when times aren't good, uh, or for other reasons. retirements or something like that, right? Baby boomers are retiring, large numbers. Um, And then they come back. Some of them come back into the labor force when they think there are jobs or seasonally they come back Mm -hmm. as well. Okay, so you look at the CPS numbers here last month and you see an increase in the labor force overall of 736,000. That's employed in unemployed, unemployed looking for work, right? But you see a decline in the not in the labor force. So those people who not in and coming in now. So not in the labor force means they're coming into the labor force of 525,000. So 525,000 of the 736,000 increase where people coming into the labor force for the first time now if the economy is getting weak in the labor market you know why are people coming back into the labor force you know, usually they leave the labor force when they can't find jobs well they're able to find jobs they're because if you look at the cps survey we got a net increase of employment of 222,000 in August, a net increase. In other words, the CPS shows an increase in jobs of 222,000. The CES shows 187,000. Now, think about it, right? 736,000 total increase in the labor force, 525,000 of those coming back into the labor force, Employment increase of 222,000 is just about the difference between the 736 and the minus 525 coming into the labor force. Let me repeat that. The number may be confusing, right? A total increase in the labor force is 736,000. 525,000 of those are people coming back into the labor force looking for jobs. And you have a net increase of employment. Of 222,000. Okay. Now, here's another statistic. Employment of part-time people increased last month by 221,000. Now, think about that. 221,000 part-timers got jobs last month. Total increase of employment, 221,000. Does this mean that all the jobs being created are part-time? It's important if it is, because if it's part-time, part-timers receive less pay than full-timers. And no benefits, virtually few benefits. So they're coming back in, and they're getting part-time jobs, with well, they'll pay no benefits. Well, why are they doing that? Well, because maybe they can't afford uh, the inflation, whatever they're doing here. Maybe they ran out of unemployment benefits or something, you know, lots of reasons. They're coming back into the labor force, but they're coming back in as part-timers. And, and that's not a, a one-month event, because if you look at Again, to CPS, since May of this year, April, May of this year, 500,000 part-time jobs, quote, created. So it's not just this past month. It's been going on for four months now. A big increase in part-time employment. If you look at the total employment since April, 900,000. 900,000. So 500,000 of the 900,000 total employed are part-timers according to the CPS. But they ignore the CPS, you see, because the numbers aren't, uh, you know, as, as attractive as the CES. Yeah. The picture you get here in the CPS is that of the 900,000 jobs created, 500,000 of them are part-time. Now, let's peel that onion one more layer. 500,000, actually about 520,000. This is, by the way, table A-8 A eight of the CPS. Okay? And uh, look at table A-9 of the CPS which gives you another similar picture of what's happening with full-time jobs and part-time jobs. What do we find in Table A9? Full-time jobs since April have declined in the economy by 311,000. Part-time jobs have increased since April by 520,000. 300,000-plus lost, 500,000-plus gained. And most of the part-time jobs gained, again, the 500,000, are workers adding second and third jobs because there's a, another stat called multiple job holders, Multiple jobs. Now, people who are adding a second and sometimes a third job, since April, has increased by 321,000. Most of the part-time jobs are people who are already employed, adding second and third part-time jobs. You see, because the government does not, what it says, employment and unemployment, it doesn't look at people. It looks at jobs, those are job numbers, not employed worker numbers. So that you can add jobs by adding second and third jobs makes the economy look good, but people aren't really, new people aren't really getting the jobs or people who are unemployed aren't really getting the jobs. So to sum up, once again it important to understand here because it's a different picture of the labor market you know they say oh the labor department uh, l- labor market is is smoothly downshifting or it's cooling you know it was too hot whatever it's worse than they're saying 222,000 total net jobs increased last month. 221,000 of those are part-time. Last four months, 900,000 total jobs. 500,000 were part-time. 311,000 full-time jobs shed, shedded by the economy, 520,000. Part-time jobs, three hundred and twenty-one thousand to the five hundred and twenty thousand are multiple job holders. But they say everything's going great. At least Biden is running around, right? Putting a big spin on his job numbers. The worst spin being, oh, I created 13 and a half million jobs. Created, nah, you didn't create. These are people returning to work or just natural growth in part-time employment in the past year. Not because of anything you did, Joe. You know, he hypes these three bills, right, that he passed, uh, the Infrastructure Act, right, the Chip and Semiconductor Act and the inflation reduction act worth 1.65 trillion dollars of subsidies and tax cuts given to businesses now how's he paying for it well he cut the bottom out of all the covid relief programs and shifted the spending from covid relief and you know childcare and student debt and all this stuff shifted it to give it to businesses. That's what's going on in 2022, a big shift. But as I've said, the jobs haven't really appeared very much. I mean, you know, infrastructure jobs, these don't appear overnight. And by the way, infrastructure, you know, construction jobs, uh, we're not getting any big increase in construction jobs, right? Over the past year, Construction jobs have increased by 23,000. I'm looking at table A14. Yeah. Yeah. August 2022, 401,000 construction jobs. August 23, 424. Okay, 13,000 jobs. 1.65 trillion, 13,000 jobs. Well, it hasn't really hit. And then he brags about, oh, 800,000 manufacturing jobs. I created 800,000 manufacturing. Again, these are people going back to work. And if you look at 814 again, what do you got? 433,000 unemployed. Last year, 515,000 unemployed. So what do we get? We got maybe 100,000 fewer unemployed in manufacturing over the past year. Manufacturing is still below its numbers in 2019. Yeah, we haven't uh, gotten back to manufacturing, the numbers that we have. And by the way, you know, manufacturing is only uh, 12% of the economy. It's not like services. 80% is services. So, you know, you got to, you got to wonder what's going on with some of these st- statistics. Yeah, the 3.5, 3.7% unemployment rate is totally worthless statistic because it's only looking at full-time jobs and the CES survey and full-time jobs. Yeah. What is it? What is it the, let's see. Uh, 3.8, I guess it is now, right? But if you added part-time jobs and people leaving the labor force and so forth. Even the government statistics say 7.1% unemployment, not 3.8. 7.1. When you talk about part-time, and ten, you know, people uh, dropped out of the labor force. And that's an underestimate because a lot more people who have dropped out of the labor force haven't come back. I estimate that the true unemployment rate in this country is somewhere between 8 and 9% still. Not three point eight percent. You know, in the past, I've talked about what's wrong with that three point eight percent CES full-time worker only estimate, or U U dash three, they call it, right? Estimate. It's it's distorted. This is statistic that's distorted about very questionable assumptions of jobs created six to nine months ago by small independent employed businesses new business formation. I'm not gonna get into that again. I've talked about that, but it's not raw data. It's not the actual number. It's a statistic, you know, st- all statistics are you take right. the actual raw data and you do a manipulation of it. That's a statistic by definition. So all these numbers are statistics. A method you use, you can really play around, right? to get the estimate at least moving in the direction you want. I'm not saying that this stuff is falsification. I am saying that there's so many statistics out there with different assumptions and methodologies applied to them, you know, you can cherry pick the number you want. And we see this with the jobs numbers, right? Let's cherry pick the CES Establishment Survey, 187,000 jobs, right? From the Fed point of view, that's not very good. But, you know, Biden thinks it's good. But then you look at the other survey, and it's a totally different picture. Actually, I think, you know, the CPS survey is more accurate, relatively, because it picks up a lot of small businesses, small, medium-sized businesses, that the CES does not. CES is a picture of larger businesses most of the jobs are small business. Yeah. So, you know, you got you to be, you got to take these statistics with a grain of salt. You got to look at multiple statistics. You got to understand their assumptions behind them and the methodologies used. And the average folk uh, doesn't know this and the media doesn't explain this. <laughs> Now this this is a real problem for the actual g- economy here because when you use averages and aggregate, you 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 don't get an accurate picture. I mean, it's like wages, right? Saying, "Oh, wages are rising four percent." Now. Income is rising. Well, whose income and whose wages? Because these are averages, once again, aggregate numbers, averages. And if you peel the onion, you see a different picture. Because most of the wage increase and income increase is skewed to the top. You know, the 160 million people working, you got maybe 10, 20 million, you know, who are managers and supervisors, even CEOs getting a wage and a salary. Know, and uh, professionals, tech—you know where there's a big demand going on for highly skilled. Or you get some states who are raising the minimum wage because they can't, without it, they even small business can't get people to work anymore. Sure. So you get a little bit of a bump at the bottom terms of wage increase and you get a big bump at the top ten percent and you average it out and it looks like four percent but the truth is in between you know yeah. if you're getting more than four percent at the top and the bottom well then you must be getting much less than four percent in the middle to average out to the four percent right. Now, the job numbers, even 187,000, last month, two things happened that reduced jobs by 54,000. That's the ongoing strike, the actors and so forth strike, and the collapse. Of uh, the shipping company, a major shipping, uh, truck shipping company called Yellow Freight. Uh, Together, those two, according to the Fed data, I mean, the Labor Department data, uh, reduced jobs by 54,000. So, you know, we would, the 187,000, you know, minus these one off events would really be about 240,000. So the number's actually going up last month compared to the month before. And actually closer, 240, closer to the uh, 221 total increase in jobs, 1,000, by uh, the CPS survey. Different methodologies, you know, mean that these, these numbers don't exactly uh, fit perfectly and round out and so forth, right? So, You know, what we're looking at is uh, quite a different picture than Biden is hyping, running around. Uh, A different picture as well uh, for inflation. You know, we'll, we'll get the next inflation data. But if it's the same as the last three months, it should be stagnant, stuck at the same level of the last three months. You know... Biden's hyping the fact that oh, inflation was nine percent; it's down to three percent. Actually, it went up to three point two. So the direction is going up last month. But okay, well, well, how is that so? Well, because goods inflation, mm-hmm. the street, discreet things that you buy goods, which we call durables, you know, whether you buy a washing machine or a car or whatever, those are durables, they last, they're durable, right? And non-durables, which are food, gasoline, and so forth, right? Uh, Durable prices have come down. Durable prices over the past year are pretty flat now. So the Fed rate hikes have taken the wind out of the goods sector prices, Although you can't say the rate hikes have done it all because we have a global slowdown in manufacturing. We got a global manufacturing recession going on, you know, and construction you know, has been flat, stuck. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But those two together are only 20% of the economy. You know, Economy is mostly services. And services inflation has not come down very much. It's stuck at you know high five six percent hasn't come down to three point two percent, right? But when you average out goods inflation decline and minimal, if any, services inflation decline, uh, you get to three point two percent again the global, the aggregate average. But you know you and I spend more on services. We buy more services than we buy goods. So the actual impact on us is not, inflation is not 3%. That's that's why, you know, people know, you know, when the government and Biden says, oh, three, we brought it down from 9 to 3, you know, I mean, and they're not feeling it because it's not happening in reality for them. They're right. not feeling the increase or decrease rather in inflation is not just goods inflation per se but uh, energy prices came way down over the past year right and food impri- food food uh, prices came down in the spring uh, with harvests that occurred so energy gasoline you know at the pump and we stopped paying uh, so much for natural gas because the winter was over or fuel oil because the winter was over and uh, gasoline prices uh, because the price of global crude came down. Uh, So uh, food prices, energy prices uh, did bring inflation down some. But now those two sources of reduced prices uh, are going in the other direction. Crude oil prices are now up to $85 a barrel as OPEC and Russia and the others cut their supply again and again and again, right? So crude oil prices are going up and gasoline at the pump is going up again. So the big gains in inflation reduction as a result of you know, energy, gasoline, natural gas, etc., fuel oil, uh, are over and it's going in the other direction. Out here in California, price per gallon of gasoline is over $5 a gallon again. I don't know what it is elsewhere in the country, but we pay a lot out here and it's continuing to creep up. Uh, Same with food prices, right? The summer harvests are over and the big declines that we saw in the first half of the year, you know, in in, uh, certain vegetables and so forth, And eggs and dairy products, which were really out through the roof here in the winter, uh, they're all creeping back up again. You know, the big egg producer, I think it's Tyson or whatever, is uh, killing off the chickens to keep the prices up. Yeah, so we're going to see an increase again in eggs and, and meat and dairy here going on. Corporate price gouging is continuing in certain areas of food, particularly food processors, processed food. Rents are not really abating. You know, the Fed yeah. uh, this time last year said, uh, and, oh, rents will come down in the summer. they did not come down, especially if you're paying for a rent increase. Right? Uh, but, you know, they, the government says, oh, rents have only increased 5% over the year. Anyone believe that? Well, how did it get that number? Oh, simple, Right. There's a hundred million people who either own a home or rent a home. Units, lodging units, hundred million out there. Not everybody is getting a rent increase. But when you take those who are getting a rent increase and divide, you know, maybe ten million, twenty million, and you divide it by a hundred. Are we back? Aaron? Maybe this oh, I'm back now. I don't know. I don't know where we got cut off, at what point. So let me just start over here with the uh, inflation numbers here. I, don't, I, I hope you got everything on my jobs numbers here. Uh, somehow, uh, folks, we dropped the connection. I don't know why, but uh, okay. You know, I had summarized the job numbers here let me just do it one more time, case we got cut off before that, and is, uh, if you look at the CPS population survey, you get a totally different picture than the CES big business survey, 187,000 jobs, big business, actually 230,000 if it wasn't for the strike and the, and the bankruptcy, the yellow fate, the fate. Uh And then if you look at CPS though, you see a net increase of 221,000 jobs last month, Part-time, part-time jobs, right? 500,000 part-time jobs over the last three months, created 900,000 total jobs, that was well over half are part-time jobs, right? And then in Table A9, if you look at the 500,000 part-time jobs, 320,000 roughly, those are people adding second and third jobs. Okay, so in case we missed that, I'm repeating it. Uh, and then I wanted to talk about uh, uh, wages and the fact that the wage numbers are skewed to the top ten percent and to the bottom to some ex- numbers. Whoa, we have another problem here. Reconnecting, are we on? Can you hear me? PR? We're in. Okay, we're back again. Okay, uh, all right. So I'm not going to go over the job numbers. I'm going to presume you, everybody got, got the job number clarifications here talking about. It's part-time jobs. It's part-time jobs. Full-time jobs are are declining and part-time jobs are rising. And that's what's being reported here, at least in the CPS survey. And you don't pick up part-time at all in the CES survey. Okay, that's a problem. Okay, Uh, and food prices, you know, food and energy prices have come down over the past year. At least they did. Now they're creeping back up. Yeah, both food and rents and mortgages are going back up. Oh, mortgages are going back up with interest rates on a 30-year mortgage over 7% now. Oh, prices are going up. How the hell is that happening? Well, simply because raising mortgage prices to 7% dampens demand and therefore prices. But you've got a supply problem. And the supply problem is pushing prices up. And really, it's uh, now the supply problem driving up prices is exceeding the uh, demand uh Process pushing down prices, so what you got is mortgages going up, right? Rents continue to go up, as I said. And also, a statistic on housing here interesting was uh, this past week that uh, existing homes, pre existing homes, resales of pre existing homes crashed. Residential housing refi, refinancing of existing homes crashed. At the same time, you got new housing construction guys working like hell to build new housing. Why? Oh, because they see a recession and rates coming down, and they want to prepare for that. That's, that's happening, All right? So, housing crash, uh, commercial real estate already crashed. Well, refi crash, right? Manufacturing is flat. We have a hundred thousand fewer jobs here in manufacturing compared to this time last year. But, oh, Biden's saying, oh, he created 800,000 jobs since COVID. Right. Um, global recession. Germany's in recession. It'll drag the rest of Europe down. China is sputtering, you know. It can't get going again because there's not a lot of demand for its exports because the rest of the world is slowing down, right? Uh and GDP, oh, they're saying we're going to get a bigger GDP number than uh, 1% predicted by the Fed at the beginning of the year. Well, again, this is they the average, and then they annualize the GDP numbers quarter by quarter. Uh, we shouldn't fall for this annualized GDP, 2%, whatever. What we need to do is look at, where the economy is on December 31st compared to where it was on December 31st of the first year. What's the output total? Right? And if we look at 2022 in that regard, we get a 1% GDP growth. So I want to see on December 31st of 2023 what the economy looks like compared to one year earlier. Then we can say, are we in a recession, is the economy flat, whatever. But certainly, small business has been borrowing less. And what about big businesses? Well, big businesses don't have to borrow. You know that's one of the problems why uh, the Fed lowering and raising interest rates is not that effective. You know, it, the Fed hasn't been able to slow down big businesses and their investment and their so forth because, Monetary policy interest rate hikes are not as effective as they used to be. Why? Because big businesses, you know, they don't borrow money to expand. They issue corporate bonds or commercial paper and raise money that way, or they issue uh, stocks and equity. We know we got a stock boom going on, right? Uh, or they go offshore and they borrow money right or they they're, they're flush with so much cash they don't need to borrow like like apple they don't need to borrow apple does borrow money by the way by issuing its bonds but not because it needs it to expand because it then t- turns around and gives that money at least when interest rates were low they did this gives that money to its shareholders which is mostly you know the founders So big businesses aren't as responsive to Fed rate hikes, and you can't slow down the economy by slowing down these big businesses by rate hikes. Monetary policy is relatively, increasingly inefficient, ineffective. Now, if that's the case, the Fed has to raise rates a lot more to slow down those big companies, in other words, to make them lay off. You know, to reduce wage income, to reduce demand and inflation, a lot more than five and a half percent. You know, we tend to forget that similar inflation, nine ten percent, that occurred in 1980-81, it took a fifteen percent Fed interest rate to break the back of that inflation. Fifteen percent. We're only at five and a half percent. But now, because of the financialization and globalization of the global economy and capitalism in the 21st century, right, they can't raise it more than 6%, I say, without exacerbating further the banking system. So they're between a rock and a heart. It's called contradictions, you see. The contradictions of the capitalist system are intensifying. Monetary mm-hmm. policy is not working as well, can't work as well because of how capitalism has changed. The same goes for fiscal policy, right? We have this huge debt, $34 trillion, and interest rates now at 5 6%, the Fed has to pay. And we got interest on the debt annually, six to 900 billion a year now, you know? And the Fed has to continue raising rates, not just to reduce inflation, which is getting harder, but in order to finance this huge deficit and debt every year over a trillion dollars, over a trillion dollars, which means they got to sell more bonds to attract buyers of bonds. They got to make the interest rate more attractive. They got to raise the interest rate. I don't see rates coming down very much. Even if inflation comes down, the Fed's going to have to finance these deficits for the next couple of years here. So the Fed has to keep interest rates high to attract buyers of its bonds. And then if the dollar no longer is the global currency being traded, as the BRICS move to an alternative currency, you know that's going to exacerbate the situation even more. So monetary policy is facing... Capitalist monetary policy is facing significant contradictions. In other words, it's not very effective. At the same time, fiscal policy is not as effective, and they are having a harder time using it as well because of these huge deficits they ran up. And why did they run them up? To pay for their damn wars. $7 trillion, according to Brown University. Not counting Ukraine, of course, or China, the war against China, trying to prepare for, not counting that. Seven trillion dollars, you know, Pentagon $850 fifty billion dollars. Total defense every year, over a trillion dollars. Uh-huh. At the same time, they got these massive tax cuts that they've cut for corporations the last twenty years that they won't reverse. And that exacerbates the deficit every year as well. And if the economy slows down, that makes it even worse. Tax collection. So this deficit is baked in. This trillion-dollar-plus annual deficit is baked into the system. And in order to finance the trillion-dollar budget deficit plus trillion-plus every year, the Fed has to borrow money. To borrow more money, it has to raise the interest rate to attract foreign buyers because half of the, the debt is really foreign buyers of of money, of, of treasuries. But then you got these damn wars in the U.S. neocons running U.S. foreign policy targeting China and Russia. You know, China used to hold more than a trillion dollars of U.S. treasuries. Right? What's it holding now in currencies? What's it holding now? Well, maybe 800 billion. It's slowly working it off. Of course, Russia's not buying anything. So the sanctions policies, the political policies, you know, are wrecking the global US empire, economic empire. Yeah, the neocons are really dumbasses. you know. They only see one thing, you know, they want to expand the political power and they don't understand they're wrecking their own empire in the process. You know, they're, they're the dumbest lot that have come along and they're running US foreign policy for 20 years. That's a problem. And you got Sleepy Joe, you know, who's putty in their hands. Plus, you know, he's probably got some connections there in Ukraine. You know, you can't really back off of it. So we are locked. We, the U.S., the economy is locked. With fiscal and monetary policy not working as well as it used to work, and the conditions that it's supposed to have addressed getting worse. Chronic inflation, right? Poor job creation. And they're covering it up with all this spin, cherry-picking the numbers, when the numbers are actually worse than they are, whether it's job numbers or inflation numbers. And by the way, if you lowball inflation, you know, you overestimate real GDP. You know, if we reported inflation correctly, we would be in, uh, you know, in in a real— Recession already. And 1% growth last year, you know, it would, would be a negative growth, no doubt. You see, because when you adjust nominal GDP, in other words, price GDP, uh, for inflation, you get what remains is the real GDP. That's what they report, right? Real GDP. But if you lowball prices and inflation, you're overestimating real GDP. So, really, the economy is flat coming out of COVID. They can't get it going. And, you know, Biden thinks these three bills will get it going. It's flat at best, moving sideways. And think about it. Think about it. I've said this so many times, but it's worth repeating. Think about it. It's flat in 2022, probably this year, virtually flat in real terms. After during COVID, they stimulated the economy to the tune of eight to nine trillion dollars. The Fed threw in five trillion, Congress threw in three trillion plus. And what did we get? We got a one percent year-to-year growth in GDP last year, and it won't be much more this year. and a lot of folks in businesses are forecasting recession next year. Yeah. We may already be stalled out. If you properly estimated inflation, right now to me this is a big crisis. Fiscal monetary policy is not working as well. We are after nine trillion, eight nine trillion dollars. We are flat. The rest of the world is slowing down. U.S. neocons are shooting themselves in the foot economically here. There's stupid war policies. No one in Congress, either wing of the Corporate Party of America, AKA Republicans and Democrats, want to raise taxes on the rich and the corporations that they cut at least 10 to 15 trillion in the last 20 years. They don't want to do that. None of them do. You know, Joe, Joe Manson's the point man to make sure that doesn't happen. Right? They aren't performing very well. They're the ruling class of this country. And we are slowly drifting into a deeper crisis, in my opinion. Fiscal monetary policy is not working as well. It will continue not working. Our neoliberalism is facing growing contradictions. Right? As I've talked about in my book, Scourge of Neoliberalism, which covered from Reagan up through Trump, actually from Jimmy Carter up through Trump, right? Neoliberal fiscal policy is tax cuts for the rich and investors, war spending, you know, try to offset it with social program cuts, which don't even come close to dealing with the revenue loss. You know? And uh, forget about the deficits. Well, they can't forget about the deficits. Now, they they ignored the deficits, you know, during a, 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 um, Obama because interest rates were so low and to finance that was was virtually, you know, didn't cost anything. So they just let it run. But now, with inflation, they have to raise interest rates, or they've chosen to raise interest rates. And now their cost is going up: six hundred billion, nine hundred billion a year, just interest on the debt. They cannot sustain that. And they won't reduce defense war spending, so they're going to go after. Watch the after the next election, whichever wing of the corporate party is elected, they're going to go after discretionary and non-discretionary mm-hmm. spending, and i.e. Medicare, Social Security, pensions, etc. There's nowhere else they can get the money, so watch them do that. I've been predicting that. You can read go on my blog, JackRasmus.com. I, I, com, I uh, reissued a 2019 article where I said stealing the Social Security surplus. They're going to go after Social Security. There's no way else to get it unless they want to really cut war spending, which they're not. They're so stuck in that. They're never going to do that. Either way of these wings won't do that. And I think another consequence is uh, uh, a further restricting of democratic uh, rights, democracy, freedom of speech, and so forth, right? That That's going to continue as well. Well, look, you know, the Republican sure. wing, uh, uh, voter suppression and so forth, you know, let's cut out the voters. But the Democrats, what are they? Well, they're just bad. What are they doing, right? Oh, they're not going to hold any primaries, right? Uh, they're. Uh, Boycotting RFK Jr., you know, they're going to go after Cornel West uh, all over the country. They're uh, legally uh, keeping uh, third parties, Greens, and those off ballots, right? Uh, and they're going after Trump. Look, I'm not a Trump supporter. I think he's a megalomaniacs mm-hmm. uh, and uh, narcissistic uh, uh, sociopath, right? Uh, but I don't support banning people from the right to vote. I don't support that. I can't. That means you create a precedent, and next time they go after you. You think any, once they ban Trump from running, I mean, this petition's going around, and effort's going around, you know, and all these shit libs, you know, are doing doing their bit (laughs) to say, oh, let's ban Trump from running, right? Well, they're just creating a precedent, you know? they ban trump they can ban cornell west they can ban anybody they got the president they got the court decision whatever right that's how desperate they are so i'm not for that but the point i'm making is that uh, democracy and democratic rights are a victim of neoliberalism in entering a crisis stage neoliberal policies Economic policy is in crisis, contradictions growing. At the same time, politically, we got crises going on in democracy in the U.S. and in U.S. foreign policy. U.S. is running amok, starting wars, right? And watch out, watch out. The next war, West Africa, that one is ripening very clearly. That's going to happen, right? Either U.S. or France or both are going to have to intervene, because what you got going in West Africa, in Niger, now Mali and Burkina Faso and Algeria have all said they're going to support Niger if the U.S. tries to get its proxy, friends, nigeria to invade. I don't think they're going to get them to invade. So that means that France and the U.S. are going to have to invade. And now you're off to another war in West Africa. I think that's, that's coming as well. Yeah. And, of course, the thing in Ukraine, no sign of that abating here. That's going to go on as the U.S. wants it to. Uh, and, and where's the next one? You know, oh, we're preparing for China. Uh, the neocons are running amok. You know, they're, they're wrecking uh, the world and are wrecking the U.S. Co- economy, and uh, they're threatening us all because what these guys want is a tactical nuclear fight with Russia. There's no such thing as tactical nuclear fight. Yeah. And by the way, I just, just heard that Russia has uh, deployed its uh, Poseidon uh, nuclear torpedoes on its uh, submarines, and it just activated its its latest ICBM, Sarmat. it's called, two most deadliest nuclear weapons in the world. Yeah. I mean, this is a signal to the West, to Biden, you know? <clears throat> You guys, if you think you're going to escalate Ukraine after we defeat them, and they are being defeated, that counteroffensive is dead. It's going nowhere. And In fact, the head of the Ukrainian army, Zeluzny, met with Zelensky and reportedly told him so. This is according to Ukrainian sources on the Telegram channel. Yeah, okay, well, maybe we'll talk about that next week. Okay, I'm out of here.